Hi, dear listener. Zach here. I'm proud of the work we did on Call of Discovery and Keyforge Public Radio, and last year I took my love of podcasts full-time with my company, Rooster High Productions. If you know someone with a business who wants to broadcast their expertise through podcasts and derived social media marketing, send them my way to Zach at RoosterHigh.com. Thank you so much. Welcome to Call of Discovery, the podcast where we invite you, dear listener, onto a journey into the crucible for a weekly or fortnightly celebration of all things Keyforge, its community, and the excitement of Discovery. I'm your co-host, Zach Armstrong, and I am today joined by... Oh, wait, Ed's... Ed's not here. I, uh, I'm so... I regret to inform you that... Um, Unfortunately, the SLRS wormhole, the the uh, Society for Logic and Regionship wormhole, pulled up along Call of Discovery uh, Studios earlier today, and uh, co-captains of the Wild Wormhole, D House and J Bray, jumped out through Ed into a cell with Opie, the poor guy, and then launched them both into a Wild Wormhole unceremoniously. So. Uh, we have not been able to reestablish contact uh, with Ed and are currently escalating the situation uh, to a ridiculous degree with the wild wormhole. So, listeners, we will keep you up to date on our attempts to recover Ed uh, from the wormhole, and we'll we'll see what we can find if we do if we do recover our dear dear Ed. Uh, but you know, we're going to put the search for Ed on on hold for just a minute here because today we are joined by Tyler Parrott, a game designer at FFG working on Keyforge, who is here to talk a bit about his journey working on games and Keyforge and of course Keyforge Adventures, uh, the Keyforge co-op mode uh, we've all been playing with Rise of the Key Raken that we're so excited for and excited woo. for the future of. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, woo, woo indeed. So Tyler, thank you so much for coming on board today. Yeah, well, you know, I uh, I like to chat, and I'm really excited about Keyforge Adventures. So uh, I'm excited that you guys are also eager to play Keyforge Adventures. We are. Uh, I'm looking forward to the third Keyforge Adventure, which is uh, Rescue Ed Pocock. I'm really um, looking forward to the that well, one. I'll, I'll give you conspiracy. one preview about that third Ooh. adventure. It starts with getting there, getting the 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 wormhole, the you know the ship you're after. You got to get it stuck in a canal. That's the first, that's the first. Objective. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> excellent. Excellent. I, I, we love, uh, we love Keyforge adventures all about disrupting uh, global trade and freight, the freight industry Oof. in general. One of my favorite, my favorite themes is the freight industry. Just absolutely fantastic. It's just like Keyforge. It just turned into a meme. That's all, you know, like, <laughs> like, like they do. Oh, oh man. Uh, so yeah, before we before we get to uh, you know so many more serious questions about uh, Keyforge Adventures, we're gonna uh, Tyler ask you a few questions uh, about you. Usually we ask how'd you get into Keyforge, uh, but we discovered with with uh, Danny that you know that's a, a bit different than most people <laughs> when we're interviewing someone who works at FFG. How did you get into uh, Keyforge? Well, uh, Keyforge was was in development, and they said, "Hey, you want to work on it?" <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, indeed. So, uh, how did uh, for those who who aren't familiar? Because I know if if people were around for uh, have been playing uh, L five R, they may be uh, familiar with you. But what was your journey uh, into designing games for those of us on the outside of the you know the creative board game world? Uh, yes. So, well, it started when I was a small child, and I played the Queen's Gambit Star Wars board game, and uh, I had just read a fantasy novel series, and I said, you know, it'd be cool is if we just had the same game, but based on this this particular, you know, climactic fight from uh, Ed Greenwood's The Kingless Land. And mm. so then I spent probably too much, well, no, not too much time, a lot of time uh, printing out <laughs> hex grids and taping them together and drawing on them. And uh, then about 20 years later, uh, here I am designing games as a profession. <laughs> um as to how I got into uh, uh, working for FFG specifically, um, sure. I got my uh, I got my educational degree in molecular biology, uh, and was on track to go work in labs. Except that the 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 one sense version is working in labs is hard. Getting into labs is hard, and I mm. didn't have the motivation to see it through. But I did have the motivation to see through. A different objective, which was, hey, I design. I'll I'll stay up until six a.m. You know, design writing a D and D adventure or designing a custom magic set. Maybe I should get paid for that. Uh, right. <laughs> and so I, Fantasy Flight Games was the non Wizards of the Coast studio that I knew best and was a huge fan of all of their what they had made. Um, mm-hmm. And it was basically more uh, more attainable than trying to work for wizards uh and also frankly i've loved it so uh, i have no regrets over choosing ffg as my target uh so i volunteered as a playtester. i worked as a contractor judging events i just did everything i could to make sure that um my name was on their radar uh as i also you know amateur game designed and i uh i was participating in that's the better word I was briefly yeah. participating in uh, an amateur game design club, I guess, uh, out in, in Boston. And so, like, I was in my free time making games and in my other free time, which I just kind of forced myself to have, uh, I would volunteer and co- do contract work for FFG uh, so that by the time that they needed to hire a new card game developer... I had the requirements they needed. I could prove that I knew what I was talking about. Um, And I was someone that they knew because, you know, when you're getting, when you're trying to get hired, people having, having the hiring managers know who you are is a huge advantage, even if they won't admit to it. Oh, oh yes. Oh yes. There's that confidence just from, from you being a known quantity, whatever that quantity happens to be. (laughs) Um, And, and I know it has been discussed a lot in sort of the L5R world of, uh, yes, and immediately before I got hired, I basically did a trial run as an intern um, because mm. that uh, while FFG was r- running their internship program, um, and so I did work as a volunteer game designer for a few months uh, prior to getting hired. Sure, sure. So yeah, let that uh, be an encouragement to anyone listening who 
dreams of maybe getting into games one day yourself don't don't write off all that stuff you're taping together all those popsicle sticks and no 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 and dice uh, stolen from other games those Highly are valuable absolutely the gem and i will say yeah. i will go on record as saying i absolutely learned the most about game design prior to you know actually doing it full time uh mm. where where you learn a lot more a lot faster um prior to that i would say almost everything i learned about game design came from uh my own experimentations and also the lessons that i was learning from the now decades of content that mark rosewater uh who is the the head designer yes. of magic the gathering has yeah. written recorded that man is just a font of of information he'll talk about process he'll talk about theory he'll talk about uh, philosophy he'll talk about everything if you want to go and look for it and i learned a lot from him so don't discount where you're getting your your like like seek out people in the industry who are writing and 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 recording uh mm -hmm. content because you can always learn from someone who is has been doing it longer than you Oh yeah, certainly, certainly, and I know uh, Mark Rosewater. I believe he has his uh, his commute to work podcast that that he does on a regular basis. Along with, I, I see him post things all the time, and I certainly am not able to read all of it. Uh, but yeah, but certainly a, a huge resource in the community there, uh, definitely. Yeah, as a as a writer, I'm genuinely impressed at just his consistency because I have uh, fun tangent um, before when I was. In the competitive card game world, uh, I own, I ran and ran, ran and wrote for a content website. Uh, so I, mm. you know, wrote strategy articles and stuff, and and card previews and whatever. And uh, I tried very hard to have consistently consistent content that was also felt meaningful and good. And oh boy, that's so much work. <laughs> I have no idea how he just keeps, you know, churning it out every week. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's impressive. I mean, even even Ed and I have to retreat to uh, uh, biweekly sometimes just yeah. to, just to catch a break. So, <laughs> absolutely, yeah, of course, of course. So, uh, yeah, we've mentioned uh, uh, Legend of the the Five Rings, the uh, amazingly deep card game uh, relaunched by by FFG uh, that you worked on, and so when um, uh, before Keyforge, uh, either in L five R or or elsewhere with other FFG games, what were some of the most valuable experiences that you had gathered by the time you transitioned uh, uh, over to Keyforge? And I know you were working on some L5R stuff uh, uh, in parallel there, but what were some of the most valuable experiences that you've held on to um, as you approached the phase in your journey where you started working on Keyforge? Uh, well, considering the... My my first steps into Keyforge were with Keyforge Adventures specifically. I would say the mm. the most valuable uh, game design experience that I've had is come from Lord of the Rings, the card game. Um, that's a oh, game sure. that I've played since it came out in 2011. Um, I was a playtester for it for many years. Uh, around the time I was getting hired, uh, or, or immediately upon getting hired, I also helped develop a uh, one of the expansions for that game. So like I've had I've had a relationship with the Lord of the Rings LCG in various ways since it's come out. Um, yeah. Wow. And it's a very, it, it really sets the bar for what a cooperative card game looks like. Um, and it's funny to look to like, go back and be like, yes, but can we do better? And it's like, 
I mean, yeah, we can, but at this at the, at a certain at a certain point, like the reason that it's been so successful is because it did a lot of co-op card game things right. Like it established the draw so many cards every round. Um, it established that you want enemies that have multiple points of interaction. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it, it 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 illustrated also some of the uh, flaws that a co-op game can run into if you're not careful. Um, sure. Because, like, for example, that one of one of the most effective ways to win in that game is just to amass an overwhelming army of allies. Nothing in the game prevents you from just having as many ally cards as you can put on the table. Uh, and an ally yeah. is better than an event or an attachment because it is more flexible, it has more stats, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so that game then later in its lifespan had to sort of design encounters under the assumption that the primary strategy would be to just flood the board of allies. Uh, whereas when we approached Keyforge Adventures, we could be like, okay. And and a certain amount of Keyforge itself also informed this, right? Like Keyforge is a game that where destroy all creatures is a common. So yes. at, at, at a certain point, you just say, yeah, okay. Fortunately, Keyforge players are used to their boards not being uh, something that they can count on sticking around and also something mm-hmm. that, um, that they have to work to maintain, which is good because a, 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 Co-op. If if there was no interaction between the the player deck and the encounter deck in a cooperative game, the player deck will basically always win because mm. it's run by an intelligent human, and the intelligent yeah. human can sequence cards per- correctly, can build to specific synergies. Like my four player cards are always going to be better than the enemy four player four encounter cards. Now, obviously, I can make individual encounter cards stronger than an individual player card, right? Like, uh, sure. Nothing is stopping the Kiraken from just having a uh, six power, three armor taunt creature, <laughs> right? Or whatever. Right. Uh, right. All fertility chants that destroy all creatures, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's more, I think, more interesting if there's some tension between, well, the encounter deck is going to actively be destroying my game plan. Uh, so I need to make sure that I can build up faster than it and or prevent it from destroying my game plan, right? Um, and so that's where cards like uh, the shield arm that I mentioned or the, oh, I forget what it's called. There's one that steals, uh, that steals amber. That just has reap, steal, amber, if the tide is high, I think. Oh, and, one of the uh, tentacles or arms? Yeah, yeah just, just one of the arms or tentacles. The skirmish arm, right? So the skirmish arm is going to just hit somebody for three damage every turn until you kill it. Uh, so that's something that you need to deal with, but not in a it makes the encounter deck better kind of way, but in a, it, it prevents you from building your own engine to, to outclass the encounter deck's engine. Yeah. Yeah. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, I hadn't actually realized how far back the Lord of the Rings, uh, that Lord of the Rings cooperative card game had gone. I know it's been around for a while. I actually own a decent number of sets that I found uh, all sleeved in very nice sleeves in a thrift store. Ooh, Um, that's exciting. Yeah. That's actually yeah. rare. Good job. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, it was it was a dump of uh, it was a dump of a lot of actually high quality board games. I got Thern and Taxis, which is a chill favorite now, uh, and uh, and a few others. It's about laying postal routes across uh, the European countryside. It's uh, very nice. Very exciting. very nice. Yeah. 
so uh, when you when you came into to Keyforge, and it sounds like you you started with Keyforge Adventures here, uh, what was the biggest challenge? What was the biggest challenge when you when you stepped in? Um, the biggest challenge is, I mean, and this is true with with any Keyforge, uh, is just mm. like how do you design cards that are still meaningful uh, with regards to the existing card pool um, when there isn't a cost that you can scale the power of a card by. Uh, sure. That was, that was the biggest one, especially coming from, you know, my background, which was heavily based in magic and legend of the five rings where the whole, you know, sort of, and, and even going back further, right? Like Lord of the Rings does that too. Uh, Warhammer 40 K conquest did that. Like, Almost every game, Hearthstone do, even does it, right? Although I don't really play Hearthstone that much. Um, <laughs> the uh, the whole concept of like, I have resources that I spend to play cards and I can pl either play lots of cheap cards or one expensive card. And the assumption is the expensive card will be better than all the cheap cards. Um, mm -hmm. Keyforge doesn't have any of that. It like actively says, yeah, we don't need to be micromanaging resources. We're just going to put our cards on the table. And it's like, that's cool. If if we have a four power skirmish as a kind of a default, or a seven power taunt, how do I do a, a how do I manage the power of the ability plus the power of the creature? Sure. Um, in such a way that it is desirable but not broken or too strong, um, and also because of the way that Keyforge des is designed to. Um, be sort of an easy to play, learn to, easy to learn, hard to master kind of deal, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, a certain amount of simplicity is mandatory for the commons. Um, there is a hard limit to how much complexity, both in terms of do I understand what the card does, and if I put this card on the table, does it make the understanding what's about to happen on the board too overwhelming? There's a certain sure. there's there's definitely a limit to how complex a common card can be. And one of the tools to mit it to to add power to a card that doesn't just make it, you know, oh well, Snufflegator is a four power skirmish, so we're just going to make a five power skirmish and invalidate the Snufflegator, which you don't want to do. You want the you know you want the existing cards to still feel like they're good. So usually, what you do is you add some kind of condition to it, right? Like, oh, okay, sure. here's a five power creature, but it and it'll have skirmish, but only under this condition. Yeah, well, every condition you add is another point of complexity. So you can't do yeah. that too often at common, especially if it's a condition that can turn on and off during the game or during a turn, uh, let alone during the game, right? Uh, oh, this card has skirmish while while your opponent has uh, four or more creatures. Okay, well, I kill one of your creatures and now it loses skirmish suddenly and then I attack with it and oops, it dies. Uh, that feels bad. Um, mm. And and also, more importantly, it's easy to easy to miss, right? Like. I'll be like, oh, I'll kill that creature and then I'll skirmish fight with this one. And then my opponent's like, Oop. you know, oh, he lost skirmish. At which point I, the new player, feel like the game tricked me. And you don't want your game right. to trick your players. That's a bad feeling. Um, sure. And so there's a, there's a, it's very tricky to design simple commons that also, that feel new, but also don't invalidate what came before. Um, because there yeah. is no sort of just, well, we can always turn the cost up. That tool just doesn't exist. And <laughs> I've always had that tool in my toolbox. So it was 
honestly very refreshing, but also very challenging to yeah. readjust my mental perception to how uh, Keyforge cards operate differently than cards in just about every other game. Yeah, of course, because the 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 complexities you're working with to kind of add and subtract from the quote unquote power level of a card are so abstract or could affect so many different things. It's like, uh, you know, the call of the Archon's card hunting, which just being two power without elusive. So it's a bit easier, you know, to remove. And then you compare it to uh, it's not quite apples and apples, but something like Scullion, seven power, two armor. And the cost is when you play it, you have to blow something of yours up, which in, in Deese may actually be a, a benefit so yeah that's a very interesting space for uh for keyforge cards uh certainly certainly yeah and uh and and it the the thing that you can do a little bit which i personally find very interesting is hmm. using house to mitigate to like influence that imagine like if i was to print a seven power three armor taunt creature Mm-hmm. that said when it comes into play you lose an amber right if i put that card in sanctum it makes perfect sense it's like yeah oh, yeah sure okay it's just a sanctum creature if i put it in shadows you're like this is <laughs> maybe better than every other shadows card ever because it just gives shadows sure. a tool that they don't already have yeah um, and also it's not competing with anything directly right like my my theoretical card that i just described is competing with i think it's named champion Anapiel who's just the generic common seven power taunt creature. It's a better version of that, but also there's, you know, this Amber cost that maybe you can mitigate. So the, the, the feeling is less about like, it it feels less significant because similar tools, even if they're a little bit weaker or a little bit more conditional do already exist in the house. Mm -hmm. Um, But once you start giving right, like imagine fertility chant in any house other than untamed, uh whoever <laughs> sure. you know whoever got that in their deck and that's kind of the whole point of 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 uh mavericks mavericks right but yeah uh but that's also why you want to uh that that but my point is namely that you can use it for power level as well of like maybe it's okay for Brobnar to get a six power skirmish because it's mm-hmm. Brobnar, whereas uh, Untamed gets a four power skirmish because it's Untamed. Um, obviously, like we wouldn't do it quite so blatantly, but there is a little sure. bit of space of like, yeah, okay, like uh, the the dinosaurs and the knights get to be just a little bit bigger on average than everybody mm-hmm. else because that's in their house, um, and then they're going to have other weaknesses that are dip right. Uh, yeah. as a house yeah um, and but you do need to, to pay very careful attention to what those weaknesses are that you don't accidentally undermine right with my theoretical <laughs> with my theoretical big big armored taunt shadows creature like that solves a big problem for shadows if mm-hmm. i accidentally print that that's not a problem for shadows anymore <laughs> right right yeah and de- depending on the the rarity too and i i think the the great, uh, great examples of those that you talked about, especially with uh, like just on creatures at the very least, right? Because they have a few more levers to pull is like Lollop the Titanic, um, you know, dealing no damage back uh, mm-hmm. or um, Gladiodontus, right? Uh, it's huge. It can be used twice in turn, but it comes in stunned. And one of those 
has to be a fight. Like it's got a whole lot of levers going on, but it's just, uh, you know, you can tell the intent is there that we want this to be big and fun, but you're going to have a bit of a narrower way to, uh, to use this. For sure. Oh. Yeah. So, uh, Tyler, let's say tomorrow, uh, like we all, we all go to sleep tonight. Tomorrow we all wake up in Rokugan, the land of legend of the five rings. <laughs> Uh, for those who might not be familiar, what's your clan and what is your role in that clan? I'll admit, I was not expecting this question, um, but I do have an answer <laughs> to it. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, uh, the clan that I want to be is I want to be in the dragon clan and I want to be a monk mm. because I want to be enlightened. Mm. But realistically yeah. speaking, that's not really to my personality or skill set. Um, so realistically speaking, I'm probably an uh, Ide diplomat in the Unicorn Clan. Um, sure. Constantly meeting new people and uh, 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 forging alliances and generally not being violent. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Sure. Sure. Uh, and I will say I have uh, enjoyed a couple of, couple of the, the games inside of the L5R IP, but I, I don't have a clan answer yet. I should probably... Uh, go oh, do a little research. That's one of the whole features of the of the setting um, is, yeah. is people getting to find that join identity. join the team that they want to be on, uh, and mm -hmm. also the the role on that team. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very it's a very fun uh, and fascinating setting, and the more I learn about it, the more I realize there is more to learn. Um, yeah, given it's <laughs> given it's. Uh, close proximity to a very deep and very rich real world, real world culture. Yeah. So we're going to transition over to uh, talking uh, a few things about Keyforge uh, adventures. And uh, thank you to Duke for a few of the uh, intro questions there that we had. Um, and uh, the, the lead in question here, uh, just continuing with the hard hitting journalism that here at call of discovery that uh, we've won so many awards for uh, who thought up the word key raking. I mean, do you really have to ask? <laughs> it was just I, a, I it a, was the low hanging fruit. I have fruit. a guess. It was the lo a, low hanging fruit. Um, so the I, key I have a guess, and I feel like it was introduced in the very first meeting, and people oh, almost uh, walked out. It was actually before the very first meeting. Um, <laughs> very, very mild behind the scenes. Um, the key rack and actually started life as the Kedra. Uh, okay. It was, a, it was a key hydra thing. Um, yeah. That was kind of just a proof of concept of like sure would this work um but the like pun in its title was so spicy that we couldn't get rid of it once we said okay but now we're going to actually develop a real product based on this proof of concept um i immediately was like okay what other key what other aquatic key puns can i make with this name oh kraken key racken? easy we're done no one's changing nice. it i'm not letting them <laughs> <laughs> oh that's awesome uh, that's awesome. That's so fun that it was the the Kedra, the Kedra beforehand. Now I'm wondering about the uh, now I'm wondering about the long list of uh, of uh, large fantastical beasties with possible uh, key puns. possible key puns and yeah possible and, key and puns in their, like, in their name. Okay, I recognize that uh, maybe um, Krakens and even this one only tangentially have anything to do with keys. Right. Like you don't even forge <laughs> keys to defeat it or anything, but right. whatever. It's key forge. Like we're here it's to have key fun. Forge. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
So uh, uh, we know we know that uh, you were brought on to kind of KeyForge Adventures initially when you were brought on to KeyForge here. So um, uh, a question from uh, Se Steele: What uh, what point in the production of KeyForge did the concept of cooperative play emerge? Um, you were brought on for it. Where is it? Were people talking about it before then? And then you were brought on for it. What was the what was the process there? Uh, it was something that I mean, whenever you have a, a long running um, lifestyle game like this, you're always yeah. going to try to consider the what ifs. Uh, so like we know what Keyforge is, but what if it could be something else? And what if that something else could reach a new audience? Um, mm-hmm. and so the idea of cooperative Keyforge has been around for actually quite some time. Um, yeah. and like I said, we were basically doing R and D on what that might look like kind of it was it was just kind of like a side project of like you know if you have some extra time try out this new thing that Brad made what what kinds of stories could you tell with a with a cooperative keyforge thing right cuz like keyforge as a game doesn't is very very not story driven um it's it's a a fight between two archons there isn't a narrative yeah. necessarily there obviously you can right. add narrative to it right um the short story collection and the the new novel obviously do that um, pretty well, uh, but that but just playing the game isn't giving you any story on its own. So, well, what right. kind of story could you tell uh, if you were going to try if if you were going to if you could assume that the mechanics were there to support you? What kind of story would you want to tell, or what kind of story could you tell? Um, mm. Again, with the assumption that whoever is playing this co-op thing is still playing KeyForge with their KeyForge deck. Because that's yeah. that's the foundation of the whole premise. Um, we wanted to give people new things to do with their KeyForge decks. We wanted people. Uh, we wanted to uh, open uh, open the the door for people who wouldn't play KeyForge normally to maybe pick up a couple KeyForge decks and try out this co op experience, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that has just been around for a while, uh, and then <laughs> basically, as soon as the pandemic dropped. Uh, we were like, okay, um, can we get this into players' hands soon? Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and and that was that was kind of a people have been wondering why print and play, and that's the honest answer is. Oh yeah, we, we wanted people to play so it so much longer. We wanted people to play it more than sooner than six months from now. Um, right. <laughs> right, and. And 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 that was it. That was entirely it. Uh, we we feel great about how uh, Aaron and I, who who developed the two Keyforge adventures primarily, obviously we had uh, Danny and Brad both provided um, support in different ways, uh, but but most of the like iter- you know iterative heavy lifting was done by Aaron and I. Um, we feel like we did a great job and. Uh, I'm I'm really excited at how uh, the Kirakin has been received by the community. It, people seem to be loving it, um, and and the the scaling difficulty, which was um, kind of added after we had already balanced it around um, drawing two cards a turn as a yeah. Hey, if this is too easy or hard for you, this is an easy way to scale it. Like just the other day, I saw someone showing off how they uh, beat the Kirakin 
drawing five cards a turn. Yes. Which is something (laughs) I didn't even think was possible. So super congrats. Like I love that people are enjoying it and also enjoying the process of challenging themselves with it. Because at the end of the day, a cooperative game is about one. It can be a a social, like let's play through this together. And we're going to, we, we, are really more here to do the experience and win at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so for the, for that audience, you don't want it to be too hard because people want their decks to do the thing that their decks do. Like I'm here yeah. to play my deck. I'm not necessarily here to outthink the Kiraken. Um, right. On the other hand, there are people who love the challenge. I'm one of those people personally. Um, yeah. One of my like uh, go-to video games is Overcooked, which is just all about like, Hey, can we challenge you with just like too many things all at once right now? And for that audience, you want the game to be as hard as they can handle it, which for some people is like middling and for some people is quite a lot, but for everyone, it's different. And that's the key, right? Um, So I love that people are going above and beyond what we recommended to make the experience as fun as possible for themselves. Um, Because at the end of the day, this is a customizable game where you, I want the audience to feel empowered to play the version of Keyforge that is the most fun for them. And if that means bending a few rules here or there uh, and everyone in your play group is on board with it, then absolutely do that. Um, and obviously a cooperative experience is more conducive to that because there isn't the sense of fairness necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. My uh, several friends and I who have been able to play a three-player Rise of the Key Raken together have had just so much fun, especially with the the kind of extra time in between turns where things are changing and we have to prepare for each other's turns. And uh, we're already brainstorming about how we can turn the difficulty up and then just try to uh, cheese it right with either something ridiculous that may not work, like uh, bring a Heart of the Forest with Marmos Warm deck. So as soon as you forge your first key, you don't forge anymore and you just get a ton of amber giving mm-hmm, yourself the mm-hmm. biggest squirrel in the crucible uh, or each of us bringing uh, a deck with a different gigantic creature, right? For uh, a true clash of the Titans there or just anything, <laughs> anything ridiculous uh, like that. We've already got quite a bit of it brainstormed that we want to, that we've got queued and tried out. And it just allows us to have um, a totally different key forge experience, but with our decks and, uh, and together. So yeah, I, I personally am definitely going to use this to uh, evangelize the game, even if people just enjoy it mainly for Keyforge Adventures at my local shop once it's uh, safe to play there again, because you can just uh, hand them a deck, jump in at maybe a slightly lower difficulty and, and uh, have a good time. So, yeah, I, I've had a great experience with it, it personally. Definitely. Well, that's exciting. So, yeah, we've we've talked about uh, the development of Keyforge Adventures, uh, how it's come around. You mentioned that uh, part of the goal of Keyforge Adventures is is getting new new people uh, into Keyforge, which uh, I think I think something Keyforge Adventures is doing is equipping uh, people like me, people who want to get more friends, more people in their area into it. It's giving us another tool to get people into the game, another, you know, event to run at the at our local shop that's going to be attractive to a wider a wider range of people so um i think i think it's going to accomplish that goal quite well and uh, i know you can't speak to the future of it but i know uh, please keep everyone please keep just uh, posting encouraging things about keyforge adventures how you're enjoying it on social media in case there is a possible future where 
we get to uh, pay our local shops in FFG uh, for printed versions of these instead of uh, our local uh, FedEx print shop. <laughs> yes, and actually that's a very important point is that uh, we pay attention to what our customers are saying and doing. And if our customers are playing a lot of Keyforge Adventures and saying how much they love Keyforge Adventures, we will make more Keyforge Adventures. Uh, you know, all things, all things considered, like, uh, yeah, or yeah. I should say, uh, we it it becomes a much higher priority uh, if people are actively playing it and liking it and talking about it and wanting it. And certainly, I want to make more Keyforge Adventures, right? Because like, yeah. I I am very pedigree. I'm very excited with with the the two that we've made now, and I'm full of ideas for the next one. Uh, according to the capitalist model, if people want a thing, then we're going to make a thing. Um, right. But but we need to know that you want the thing. Mm -hmm. um, and certainly there's room for experimentation, but... Yeah, so get yeah, uh, get out there, take take photos uh, of, of you playing Keyforge Adventures, uh, tweet about it, post on Instagram, uh, tag FFG, hashtag we want the thing. I mean, hashtag... Keyforge, we want the thing. <laughs> May not be quite as effective. <laughs> hashtag Keyforge is sufficient, you know. Yes, Keyforge. The, the 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 rest of the context will be fairly obvious. I would hope that you're playing playing and or talking about Keyforge adventures. Right. I'll try to sneak the key raking into my regular battle line in a normal game. That'll that would be fascinating. Yes. Yes. Um. Do it. <laughs> and now um. this one. <laughs> Uh, lastly, uh, a question from our, our friend Sporgory here. Um, when you're, when you're putting these together, we've kind of skidded around this question a, a bit with the purpose of Keyforge Adventures, but what, what are the kind of design principles you look to when you're making decisions about what a Keyforge Adventure is going to look like? Yeah, this is a great question. Uh, probably good that you're ending on it because I kind of have a lot to say. Um, <laughs> Keyforge, so, uh, uh, a Keyforge adventure, and a lot of this comes down to cooperative game fundamentals, right? Is that um, you want it to play, it's, you, you want it to have a sense of progression. Um, you want it to yeah. have variety between plays, which are sometimes at odds, right? If I make it, mm, hot, yeah. if, I, if I turn up the variety dial, it means that I'm necessarily turning down the um, the scriptedness of it and scripting mm -hmm. something is how you can guarantee a sense of progression. Um, That's right, yeah. Uh, you want um, you want a mix uh, you you want some creatures you you want your you want slightly less slightly fewer creatures than you would in a regular keyforge deck. Um, but you want a decent amount of them and you want some variety among them. Um, for example, uh, you'll notice that there are six arms and or tentacles, and they each have a very distinct identity, right? There's mm -hmm. the big sure. fighty one, there's the capture one, there's the skirmish, the small fighty one with skirmish, there's the taunt protective one, there's the, the, the and then there's the two that reap, um, and they, and they do bad stuff when they reap, um. And so, uh, but the important thing is you can't have too many creatures because a creature is always going to be better than an action mm -hmm. um, because it 
sticks on the table and generates value over multiple turns, even if that value is just generating an amber from reaping. Um, sure. Which is true in regular Keyforge, but regular Keyforge is allowed to have things like Gateway to Dis, which an adventure can't. So that's the other element, <laughs> which is yeah. that you want the abilities uh, on, in the encounter deck to disrupt and challenge the players without preventing them from playing the game, which sounds mm. obvious, but it's a lot harder in practice than <laughs> you might think. Um, for example, if I just put Gateway to Dis in as an encounter card, um, that would feel really bad of, I had I finally got to my big board and it just, oops, disappeared. Um, sure. And so now, uh, uh, right, and obviously that's a part of regular Keyforge, but also there's the flip side of it, which is I was falling behind and now this encounter card was actively good for me, um, which you also don't want because even though it can help with the difficulty, um, of, oh, here's this card that it, it wipes the board, which sometimes will be, will be beneficial for you when you're behind. And you do want to go easier on players when they're behind and harder on mm -hmm. them when they're ahead um, because that keeps the difficulty interesting. But people really, really, really dislike the feeling of, I drew a thing that was supposed to hurt me and instead it helped me, unless sure. they know that that's what they're getting into, right? There's a couple Lord of the Rings scenarios that are very explicitly, intentionally, include cards like that because that's part of Lord of the Rings is that sometimes help shows up unexpected at the last minute and saves the day. Um, yeah. Keyforge is not that. Uh, <laughs> and so, but that doesn't mean you can't do things like gateway to this. It just means you have to be careful about how you do it. Um, for example, if I had a card that said, if the tide is low, destroy all creatures. If the tide is high, lower the tide. Now I, once I know that that card exists, I can play around it, right? I can raise the tide. And now, as long as the tide is high, I know my board won't get wiped, ever. Or it could be something like you draw an action and it says, play, uh, choose one, either destroy all creatures or lose all your amber, right? Whatever. Big, big sure. bad effects. But the player gets a choice. There is a card in the Abyssal Conspiracy that is exactly this, of like... Uh, we're going to give you two options and they're both bad, but because you get to choose which bad stuff hits you, you have agency in how the game is going to hurt you. Um, sure, sure. And that's a big part of what makes cooperative games fun because at the end of the day, a cooperative game is most fun when it's a when it's me, the player, making a series of small decisions uh, in sequence. It's more fun if I get to have some say in the bad stuff that's happening to me because it becomes its own little mini challenge sure of having to figure out what the worst version how like do i take option a and then i have to deal with this or do i take option b and then i have to deal with that gives me the player more game to play right because uh that's the reason that I am sitting down and playing this at all is because I want to make fun, interesting, challenging decisions. This is just another fun, interesting, challenging decision that I get to make. Um, and to a certain extent, creatures do that naturally um, because the decision of do I fight the do I fight the creature or do I let it continue to reap or prey upon me is is a mini decision, right? In the same way that 
action, either destroy all creatures or lose all your amber, is a mini decision. Um, but because, again, like I said, because creatures are so much more powerful than actions, you can't just be like, creature, 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 because uh, most decks won't be able to keep up with that. Um, right. Especially if the entire encounter deck is the same house, which is the case for these two adventures, and yeah. does mean that the creatures are going to get used all the time forever until they're dead. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's that's great. That's great. That makes a lot of sense that you both, you want that sense of progression, right? There, there does really feel like the Rise of the Giraken has a kind of early and late game and there's different situations and you want to focus on different things with both. Uh, yeah. And then the identity of the tentacles I'm, um, I'm also impressed with because uh, you have to, you really have to strategize about what do I take out? When do I continue to let that gain value or do I spend a whole bunch of resources to cut off that uh, getting, getting future value. So yeah, a lot of fun, a lot of replayability. Um, I've, I enjoyed it solo. I think I'll enjoy it uh, a bunch with friends just because I love strategizing uh, with friends in the face of a giant tentacled monster we're trying to defeat. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah, uh, 100%. Uh, like, uh, I would say every co-op card game I've ever played, whether it's Lord of the Rings, Arkham Horror, Marvel Champions, and now Rise of the Kirakin, I would say yeah. all of them are best at two players. It's a little awkward, right, mm. because the whole point of co-op is that it can support player counts that are unusual whether that yeah. be one or three um sure but the ability to play with your friend and strategize with your friend but also not have it take an hour or two hours yeah. is like it's super ideal um definitely mm -hmm. if you can if you can play with friends strong 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 encourage um and if you can't play with friends that's why it's got a solo mode. I played a lot of solo Kirak and uh, I feel like it's a lot of fun. I think people are enjoying it. Well, uh, that that is all uh, we're going to talk about for today. So Tyler, um, yeah, thank you so much for joining us to talk about uh, the rise of the key Reagan and key forge adventures in general and your Rawr. story a bit. And, <laughs> and uh, we look forward to, uh, we look forward to having you back uh, next week to, to hear about uh, a deck unique to you. Yeah. Well, if you want to listen to that one, too bad. You got to wait a week. Oh, man. Man, oh, man. But uh, dear listener, if you are enjoying Column Discovery, please subscribe on your podcast app of choice. And if you're new to Keyforge, please visit the new player guide on Archon Arcana, the Keyforge wiki. And that link is below where you can get started on your own unique and wonderful journey into this game. If you're looking to support Call of Discovery monetarily, first of all, we're flattered. Second of all, please visit our Patreon linked below where you can sign up to support us monthly and enjoy rewards like our exclusive Discord where we get many topics and questions for the show like you heard me call out today. Let us know what you'd like to see more or less of in future shows by interacting with us across uh, social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or shoot us an email at podcast at callofdiscovery.com. But most importantly, of course, if you think a friend would enjoy this particular podcast, please help them to discover it. Have you answered also, the call of discovery? Oh, yeah. Also, everybody go uh, post your good names on social media. I love, love, love good deck names. Just just recently, I got my Dark Tidings decks and I opened the deck that is the man who is known as Snuggles. And it's my new favorite deck. Yes. And uh, <laughs> I love I love seeing people's decks. Amazing. So, Go jam those, jam those sweet decks. I love seeing them. 
that 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 is awesome yes that is, that is awesome oh we could do an entire episode on, on names and all that sort of thing